0: Welcome back to the Get and Grit Podcast. I am Brad Pohl, your host, and this is where we tell the stories of sinners and saints. There's nothing wrong with a T-bone steak for breakfast and pancakes for dinner. Nothing wrong with that at all. You can count backwards from infinity to zero and you'll have no time for much of anything else. And you can start with the letter Z and work your way forward to the letter A, but it will just be a novelty that is boring to the people around you. Messing with the right order of things is hard on your gut, your time, and the patience of others. You recall the story in the book of Samuel. It's about when he was a young boy and a voice that he hears calling him in the night. Four times the voice called the boy's name and three times he arose and he went to Eli the prophet whom he was living with saying, Here I am, you called me. Well, twice the old prophet tells him to return to bed. But on the third time, the prophet finally discerns that the Lord is calling the boy. So he tells the lad, next time you hear the Lord calling, answer him, saying, Lord, for your servant is listening. Well, Arthur Malafort was no angel. By the age of 22, the white mustachioed troublemaker from New Jersey had run aground in the South. Years later, in the movie Cool Hand Luke, prison... Road Prison 36 in Duval County, Florida, the name of the same prison that Arthur Malifert was sentenced to, told the real life story of the hellhole, also known by locals as Sunbeam Prison Camp. Strother Martin, who played the captain that oversaw the road prison in the movie, in real life it was held by the title warden, belonging to a man by the name of George Corson. Paul Newman played Luke Jackson in the movie, who was much like the real Arthur Malifert, sassy mouthed and a little Houdini like. Both stories depict the classic failure when things are not kept in the right order. At the Sunbeam camp, prisoners were charged with hacking through the mosquito-infested swamplands so US-1 could be built along the Florida East Coast Railway. There were no chainsaws or bulldozers, just handsaws and axes to cut trees, along with shovels and picks to uproot the stumps. This was penitentiary life during the Great Depression. Maliford had been arrested in Miami, that case was settled out of court, some fines were given, and a warning to leave Florida. But Maliford didn't actively listen, didn't heed the advice. So he was soon after arrested again, robbing a, at gunpoint a Daytona gas station for 30 bucks. As two officers transported him by car, he jumped handcuffed into the Halifax River, and the police thought he drowned. But instead he survived and stole a motorcycle the next day before he was apprehended again. For his troubles, he was sentenced to nine years in prison and shipped to the Sunbeam Prison Camp. Malfort rebelled, much like that character Paul Newman did in the movie. Malfort tried to escape by cutting through the floor of the stockade, but he was soon recaptured. And he received 30 licks with a rubber hose for his efforts, refusing to tell the warden the location of the saw he used in his escape attempt. Soon after that, Malfort complained of being ill, refused to do any roadwork and he was therefore confined to the sweat box. The sweat box was a small wooden shed with a corrugated metal roof that would heat up to sizzling temperatures during the summer. The box had four cells. They were 2 feet 9 inches wide by 2 feet 9 inches deep and 7 feet high. Malefort was placed naked in a wooden barrel with his head through a hole in the top. That wooden barrel weighed about 50 pounds, and it was placed over unruly convicts. Malford spent the entire night in the box, locked in that barrel, but still a determined man. By morning, he had chewed through the wood and escaped. Can you imagine? They used two bloodhounds to chase him down, and they finally caught him, naked and exhausted. And then they threw him back into the sweatbox. But this time, the warden nailed heavy wooden stocks over his feet and wrapped a chain around his neck. They fastened the chain to the rafter of the sweatbox so the convict couldn't reach the stocks to free himself. Well, less than an hour later, Malifert was found dead, suffocated. And now the warden knew that this was not going to look good on him. In fact, two of his guards, Gordon Denmark and Jay-Z Sims, whom the prisoners identified as the most brutal, didn't stick around to find out. They disappeared that night into the swamp, never to be heard from again. Newspapers from California to France couldn't resist this story of a Yankee suffering and dying in a southern prison. During the course of the trial, 16 fellow prisoners told tales of beatings and mistreatment at the Sunbeam camp. Two of those prisoners escaped during the trial, and it was reported that a Baptist minister smuggled in a hacksaw blade they used in the escape. Finally, the grand jury concluded, handing down a first-degree murder indictment against the warden. And the judge sentenced the warden to the maximum 20 years hard labor in the state pen. Justice prevails, right? Well, if people are listening, it does. But 80 years later, Corson's great great granddaughter began researching the case. It seems that during the appeal of the case in 1933, the court's opinion, now get this, charged that the grand jury reached their verdict by considerations outside the evidence. A slight twist of logic here. The court reversed the conviction and ordered a new trial for Warden Corson. Well, again, someone wasn't listening because that trial never happened. The state had little appetite for another round of damning publicity from the nation's media. So now, ex-warden George Corson remained free on bond. Pending the new trial and, of course, That trial never got scheduled, never took place. He never spent one night in prison and lived a free man until he died in 1950. As Strother Martin so aptly said in the film Cool Hand Luke, what we have here is a failure to communicate. The Lord's Prayer states, Thy will be done, but often it seems to come out more like my will be done. In Genesis, we read God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. But today, we hear that men can create who is male and who is female. So the legalese for verdicts drawn from considerations outside the evidence has a little bit more to do with convenience and choice than it does with pure truth. Well, the list could go on, but it wouldn't change the simple idea that when things are out of order, the underlying reason rests in the fact we don't listen very well. Much like the Prophet Eli, we often fail to recognize that it is the Lord who is whispering in the night. St. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John Henry Newman, St. John Paul II, and all the saints affirm and reaffirm two great things for us to consider. God is not in competition with us, and two, he loves us beyond understanding. Therefore, the eloquence of our prayer is unimportant. But the slowing down to actively listen is. And our response only needs to be Lord, your servant is listening. Ain't it so? This is Gittin' Grit signing off. Blessings to you all. Dominus Vobiscum.